This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best and longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who both went with team goalies last in the Keeping Carlson playoff pool. Brian ended up with Pittsburgh and I ended up with the Minnesota Wild who just got a shutout and gave me two points. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. With me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot, the Poobah prognostication, the IPP MVP, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Even though my Pittsburgh team goalies did not get even one point today with the overtime loss, man, Tristan Jari looked pretty soft on a couple of those goals. Looks like the book. You know, I love that everyone is quickly talking about, oh, well, the book on Jari is high glove side. It's like, well, then why didn't teams just do this all season? Why doesn't every team just consistently shoot high glove side? And all of a sudden, we're in a playoff series, game one, and the Islanders are clearly just shooting to the same spot every time. So they've done their homework. And I hope for my sake and the Keeping Carlson playoff pool, Pittsburgh can recover. Didn't Crosby look good, though? That was inspiring (laughs) to me. So I think I'm curious, Elon, I would make you a bet right now who's going to end up with more points from Team Goalies. So Team Goalies get you one point for a win and a bonus point for a shutout between Minnesota and Pittsburgh. I still think my Pittsburgh Goalies will. So for just this round, of course, because we just drafted for round one, uh, I'll take that bet five uh, days from Sunday. Is that the saying? I think that, uh, just to get right into hockey predictions, I said going into the series, and you have it locked into my group chat, I said the Islanders are one of my, like, not locks, you know, like, of all the teams I'm somewhat confident in winning this round. I was like, the Islanders, I think, are, like, for me, a heavy favorite. I don't know why the Vegas odds makers think differently, but it's like, the Islanders have already whooped Pittsburgh a couple years ago. They're always great in the playoffs. When's (laughs) the last time they... that they they whooped Pittsburgh? It's a couple years ago. A lot of things changed, and Pittsburgh, I think, had some persistent issues over the last couple years that they have gotten around to mostly correcting, and I think the coaching has really held them together. It, It was unfortunate they didn't have Malkin with them today and i hope that'll change the rest of the series too but i don't think just because two years like i definitely i, did, I didn't say just because i was about to say more yeah. things before you interrupted you don't want to mess with the islanders that. you don't want to mess with barry trotz especially with two goalies who have shown that they can easily succeed in barry trotz's system so like i definitely think it's a scary matchup but i think uh you know we were both picking quote-unquote bottom of the barrel teams so i'm still pretty happy with pittsburgh and i'll take them over minnesota just to repeat myself 
Yeah, I feel like at this point, I don't, need, I don't even need Minnesota to win another game. I have a feeling maybe it'll be Islanders <laughs> in five. Sounds about right to me. I don't think that uh, Jari's getting you a shutout. So, no. okay. Well, I'll wait. So put it on the bet board. Mark it down, Brian. It's going on okay. the bet board. So we got a fun show planned for everyone today. You might be thinking, what are you guys even doing here on my podcast feed? The fantasy season is over. Go home. Get over it. But no, because we still have playoff hockey. And even though even our playoff pools have drafted, though the Keeping Carlson playoff pool is going to have multiple drafts, maybe that's a whole other story. Uh, now we can still watch this hockey and maybe some of what we learn in the playoffs will help inform us for our fantasy drafts next year. So the plan right now is to do a show where we're going to do a discussion where we're going to list some players that we're interested in seeing how they do in the playoffs because like I... For for one reason or another, we left it pretty open. So it's like in general, players were interested to see just what they do. But I'm thinking in terms of like, I want to know how this player is going to perform because right now I'm not necessarily sure you know uh, what to project them for next year so some more data is going to help me that's like going to be kind of the theme though maybe some other ways that players uh interest me for how they'll do next year aside from fantasy decisions might be just like pending ufas i'm curious to see if they're going to earn themselves some extra money uh it could be players on new teams that we haven't seen that much from yet players coming off injury you know so like i said we're leaving it open that's the plan for today and i'm very excited we got a really fun list of players to discuss of course before we mention it we will mention also that we are presented by dauberhockey.com proudly so it's the number one website for fantasy hockey in the world. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you've heard of Dopper Hockey, but just make sure you're checking it out often, reading all the articles, because that's how you're going to stay sharp and ready to win your league every single year. So once again, DopperHockey.com. But okay, Brian, how about let's get started. And the number one player that I'm interested to see how they do in the playoffs, and we've seen one game from them today on the aforementioned Minnesota Wild. I'm just so excited to see what Kirill Kaprizov can do for the Wild in this playoffs. Like, Minnesota's always been such a boring team, like, good defensively, middle of the road in the standings, no real superstars. I guess, like, Zach Parisi was a superstar at some point, and Ryan Suter. Uh, now, all of a sudden, they've got this superstar rookie, Kirill Kaprizov, that's coming off a 51 points in 55 games rookie season that I think should be good enough to secure the Calder. Like, I guess, side conversation. Like, uh, Jason Robertson had 45 points in 51 games, so a slightly higher point pace for Kaprizov. Uh, yeah, maybe let, let's take that side road for a second. Brian, do you think that Kaprizov, it's his trophy to win, or would you consider giving it to Robertson if you were voting on the Calder trophy? Yeah, I think I could go either way. We really saw Robertson's role increase, and he really grew into it. It's not an opportunity he seemed to have right from the start of the season to produce the way he was producing by the end of the season, unlike Kaprizov, who was, well, I was going to say thrust into the spotlight from the very start, but I mean, he just stepped into the spotlight from the very start. And I think that freedom was there for him, whereas it wasn't for Jason Robertson in the Dallas system. So I think it's really close. I think you can make an argument for either one. But Elon, we're all forgetting the third highest rookie scorer in the league so far, Josh Norris. This is a a nice, quiet rookie season for Josh Norris, which we're all appreciating in Ottawa, of course. But uh, yeah, I just want to throw his name out there. He did a really good rookie season, one of the better rookie seasons in Ottawa Senators history as well. Wow, I did not know that at all. If you would have given me 10 guesses for who was the third highest scoring rookie, maybe I would have gotten to Norris eventually, but I probably would have had a few other guesses. Yeah, to me, like the thing you said, that's sort of like a knock on Kaprizov that he like he got the opportunity right away. I almost see that as like the plus for him. Like he's been leading this team. It seems like he's like right away stepped in as the best player yeah. on the team. Robertson, I think, needed more to like be put in a good situation, quote unquote. Not that he's bad, but like Kaprizov, like whatever his line is, is like the top line. That's what makes me so interested in him for this playoffs. And again, like maybe this isn't even a great example of what we're talking about because I, it's not like I need 
need to see what he does in the playoffs to inform my fantasy decisions for next year. This is more just, I want to see if this guy can go from just a guy who, yeah, had an amazing rookie season to like a legendary rookie season by helping the Wild like beat the favored uh, Vegas Golden Knights going on a playoff run. Because I feel like this is one of those teams where it just seems like they're living and dying by Kaprizov. Obviously, like Cam Talbot had a great game today, 42 safe shutouts. So not taking away from the rest of the Minnesota Wild and Kaprizov didn't get the overtime goal. That was Joel Erickson neck. But still, uh, yeah, he's just someone I'm really fascinated to see how far he could take this team. I don't want to take anything away from Kaprizov and what he did this season. Like the spotlight comment, I hope you heard my correction, which is that he literally, he grabbed the spotlight and shone it on himself right, and then yeah. put on a show. I still remember watching the first couple games of the season that he was playing. And I, I can't, like, there's a moment in my head, I just can't remember at what point it happened in the first week or two of the season. But like my jaw was just on the floor and night after night, he made the Minnesota Wild worth watching alone. He was worth the entertainment value of a of a virtual ticket, I guess. And it showed up on the scoreboard too. Holy cow, Kaprizov with his rookie season. Let me give you some numbers to show how he did, how he ranked amongst all players with at least 900 minutes this year. Kaprizov ranked 18th in all situation points per 60, 6th in all situations goals per 60, and 30th in all situations primary assists per 60 minutes, which is all like, that's fantastic. That's top of the league territory in all three categories. And then of course, the comparison you want to make is saying, okay, well, we see what Kaprizov did. Is that kind of like what Panarin did when he came over? Uh, Panarin was 24 years old versus Kaprizov, who was 23 years old this season. And Panarin actually had a half a point per 60 less than Kaprizov in his rookie year at five on five. But Panarin did better overall because this is a good reminder, Elon, Kaprizov was on that totally down and out Minnesota power play. Do you remember how terrible they were? It was on our, our midseason hot take or surprises episode that we did where I just went through all the ways that the Minnesota wild power play was completely failing. And to me, that signals that Kaprizov should be at least good for 75 points next season. If he's basically able to accomplish that task this season, when the power play wasn't going. Uh, he only had 13 power play points this season. So spot Kaprizov another 10 power play points, which is very reasonable to expect from a high-end power play one scorer. And then uh, you've got Kaprizov over a point per game. So I am very excited to see what he can do next season uh, with the power play clicking as well as possible. Remember Panarin, we had some worries about whether other teams would know him better and be able to defend against him. That didn't stop Panarin, and I hope it doesn't stop Kaprizov either. I, I don't know, you're right, like I don't know that he really fits the mold of being this player who uh, I want to watch to learn more about. I just want to watch to be entertained, I guess. I'm already convinced that he can be a point-per-game player. Maybe Kaprizov tips his hand somewhere in these playoffs that he's actually a 90-100 to 100 point player, and wouldn't that be exciting, especially for you, the owner of a Kirill Kaprizov Young Guns Ooh. card. What did, what did you pay for that at the start of the season? <laughs> no, actually, Brian. Uh, so yeah, I, I wrote this in my notes here that I have a Kirill Kaprizov Young Guns, the premier rookie card you can get for a player. Uh, going into the season, I was actually very into fantasy hockey. I think I, or, uh, hockey cards. I, I was always kind of into fantasy hockey, I should <laughs> say. But yeah, I got really into hockey cards. I don't know if you recall me like pitching how that I was doing another podcast. Oh, with, I recall. <laughs> I was talking to listeners also. Yeah, with Ryan Krieg, uh, the near mid 
Hockey Card Podcast. Anyways, I haven't been as involved with Near Mint since the season started, but I still have jumped on a few episodes, including one where Ryan bought a box of Upper Deck Series 2 for each of us. Like, obviously, I paid him back for mine. And then we just, like, unwrapped each pack as the episode and reacted. And I just pulled a Kaprizov Young Guns card from the box. I had it. And just got it basically for free. Well, not for free, because I spent like $150 on the box or whatever it was, or $125. Uh, but yeah, so now I've got it. I think I might have blown it, though, because right when I pulled it, it was selling for like $300 on eBay, but it's gone down since then, but still a very valuable card. And obviously, it could go up again if uh, the Wild go on a big playoff run. So that's another reason maybe why I'm a little more interested in watching Caprizo. But yeah, it's true. Like, I'm not going to like see him do badly in the playoffs and assume that he's not good or vice versa. You know, like, I know he's going to be awesome next year. And yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Panarin and you're talking about like points per 60 and stuff like that. Just overall, Panarin had 79 points in his rookie year, which was great at the time. And like, I remember being so shocked and amazed by this amazing rookie season, but that's like nothing compared to what Panarin has done since then. So if Kaprizov follows a similar pattern, then that means that this is just a taste of what's to come. And maybe we are talking about a 90 to 100 point player in the near future, especially if Minnesota gets a good center for him, like uh, Marco Rossi. He's hopefully going to be fully over COVID by next season, maybe ready to step in. That would be lovely, first of all, to have a a healthy Marco Rossi, a healthy and happy Marco Rossi. But yeah, if he could come into the league and be uh, ready to take on that task, because clearly Minnesota is wanting someone and actually someone else I'm watching on Minnesota these playoffs is Matt Zuccarello, Caprizov's winger line mate, who had a really fantastic season this year. Zuccarello had a 68-point pace, tying his career high from 2018-19. That's the year when he was traded from the Rangers to Dallas. And then in Dallas, he went off and then got injured before he could keep playing in the playoffs. But 35 points in 42 games for Matt Zuccarello this season on the opposite flank of Caprizov. And Zuccarello was streaky. He was on and off through the year, but he had 13 points in 15 games down the stretch. And of course, there was reason to think that not all of it was sustainable. We talked about how his IPP was 100% uh, for a very long time this year, but I'm not that worried. So long as Zuccarello is playing with Kaprizov, if they can stick together and get a top flight center, man, I am pumped. So I, I, I'll i be watching Zuccarello to see if he can continue, I guess, keeping up with Kaprizov. I think he can. Uh, but I just want to keep my eye on him to see exactly what happens with him and his place in the depth chart as the Wild work through this playoff run. Okay, trivia question for you and the listeners. Can you guess who was centering Kaprizov and Zuccarello in today's playoff game? I have a feeling, if you haven't looked it up already, that you wouldn't guess it after like three guesses. Was it Ryan Hartman? Oh, okay. You got it on first try. That's why you're an expert here. But yeah, Ryan Hartman. Holy cow. I definitely don't think that he's the long-term plan. For a while, it was Victor Rask centering that line. Rask was playing with Fiala and Marcus Johansson. So obviously, yeah, there's going to be lots of room for shuffling and an open spot there to play with Kaprizov and maybe Zuccarello or someone else. Okay, so that's our first couple players that we're excited to see what they do. In the same vein as Kirill Kaprizov, a player who like, yeah, I think I already know he's good. But I'm just so fascinated to see what he could do in the playoffs. I want to bring up UC Saros because like I said, just like Kaprizov, I want to see if he'll be able to carry this Nashville team past the favored Carolina Hurricanes. Like, Nashville's the heavy underdog in the series. But if you look at the league standings since March 18th, and I bring up specifically March 18th because that's the day Saros returned from his latest injury, Nashville's fourth in the league with a record of 19-7-1. So the reason why Nashville is the underdog in the series is obviously on the full season. Carolina blew them away. But over the last month and a half, it's been Nashville who's been the better team, at least in terms of wins and losses. And I would 
guess that this is almost all completely due to UC Saros. He's been insane. He has a 16-6-1 record with a 941 save percentage in that time span. And if you look at the leading scorers on Nashville over that time, it's definitely not like there was a Kirill Kaprizov in the lineup who was guiding the way. You know, their leading scorer, Mikhail Granlin, with 17 points in 25 games during that stretch. Even Philip Forsberg came back for the last 10 games, only 5 points in 10 games. So they've been winning a ton of games with not really much offensive spark at all. I know, Brian, you'll probably bring up at some point how Ellie Tolvanen uh, fixed the power play or whatever. But aside from that, it's been all UC Saros. And man, just to bring up how crazy goalies are, I looked up who were the save percentage leaders since March 18th, since that day that Saros came back from injury. I decided to cap, you know, goalies who have played uh, greater than 10 games. Brian, did you already look at my list? So uh, I shouldn't ask you to guess. So uh, you'll have to ask me the question. Oh, yes, I... I looked at your list, but I guessed in my mind when I was prepping. Why don't you ask the question? Okay. And then I can give you what my original, I'll give you my honest answer, what it was. Well, it's like, who are the goalies who had, so Saros has, like I said, 941 save percentage since March 18th. So who would, who are the top five goalies, you know, after Saros since March 18th and save percentage, let's say goalies who have played more than 10 games. It's a wild list. Yeah, so my legit answer was Jeremy Swayman, who I don't think ended up qualifying to be right. amongst that group. But if he did... He would have been, been at the top. He would have been ahead of Saros. He had a 9.45 save percentage in the 10 games he played. But yeah, we're looking for greater than 10. Yeah, is there another goalie that you would have guessed? Like, I think the one on the list that you probably would have guessed is Semyon Varlamov. He's been great, though unfortunately he's injured. He didn't play today for the Islanders. Not that they needed him, because they have two amazing goalies. They have a backup goalie that's better than most team starting goalies. But anyways, Varlamov, 9.34 save percentage. But yeah, second place after Saros for goalies who've played more than 10 games since March 18th. No one's going to guess this. Trust me. You're like listening to the podcast right now being like, I'm sure I can guess this. Like, and you're, you have a goalie's name in your head and you're waiting for me to say it so you'll be able to feel smug. It's Thomas Grice who had a 936 what? save percentage in 17 games since March 18th. Isn't that crazy? And then next, another goal. <laughs> I read your list, Elon, and I didn't even remember that. Like, that, that's too how forgettable. far from the realm of possibility it was. Okay, well, I have a feeling you're not going to be able to guess this next goalie on the list either then, even though you've read the list. This is also an out there name. You want to take one guess? Well, my other guy that I'm that I've got in my pocket here is Alex Nedeljkovic. Yeah, so he actually came uh, third, nine thirty four save percentage. Second, uh, Chris Drieger had a nine thirty five wow. save percentage in eleven games, and he's uh, another goalie that's not even playing today. The I, the Lightning and the Panthers are at the end of the first period right now, and it's two one Panthers with Bobrovsky in net. Who scored for the Panthers here? Verhagi from Barkov and Keith Yandel. So we'll talk about the Panthers actually in a little bit. Anyway, back to Saros. I was actually just going to give a little aside before you did, just about goalies. It's crazy. I was doing a playoff draft, and it was not a team goalies draft. It was actual goalies. And to try and pick a goalie who you knew was going to start through the whole playoffs was really difficult. I would, like, out of the top five or six contenders, I think there's two bona fide starting goalies. And if you extend the list to the 10 or, I don't know, 12 teams that you think really have a shot – Fewer than half of them have a goalie that you can depend on to start the whole way through, or even game one. It's crazy. There's so much up in the air this season, but there's nothing up in the air with UC Saros because of his performance this year, which I guess is why you're watching him. Yeah, like I said, again, it's not as if like I need to be convinced he's good, though he, you know, he has last year done a similar thing and then, you know, didn't end up doing so well in the playoffs. Nashville got eliminated in the uh, play-in rounds. But yeah, I'm just curious to see if Saros can carry the Predators 
over this like much more highly favored Carolina Hurricanes team. I think that it's possible. Like I know like I was talking with you and Ben and Lewis in our group chat recently and I was saying like watch out for Nashville and I don't know if I would bet hard on Carolina. It's just specifically because of Soros. Like I just feel like this goalie has been doing nothing but winning. Remember I thought that about Shostyorkin going into last playoffs and we saw how that worked out. But anyways, uh, I don't know. What's your comment on Soros? Are you as excited as I am to see if he can carry this team through a playoff series? Yeah, I, I am excited to see just how well he can do. I mean, I, I have a hunch he can do pretty well. You only took that slice from March 18th. But if you look at the whole season, UC Saros ranked second in the league in Delta Fenwick save percentage at five on five this season, playing almost 15 points above his expected Fenwick save percentage behind Adelkovic, uh, but then ahead of Driedger, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Connor Hellebuck. And actually, if you cut it after Fleury and before Hellebuck, that group of goalies, including Saros, was way ahead of the rest of the goalie pack. Just a massive season from UC Saros. And right when it looked like Nashville, it came at this moment where we thought they were on the verge of tearing it down and entering a rebuild, which I did, which did prompt me to express this concern a couple ups ago, though, that uh, Saros's crazy performance might have papered over some bigger issues that the team has, which means they won't correct them because they think they're good enough, which means they're kind of mired in this mediocrity bubble team space longer than they need to be, which would, of course, impact Saros's own potential to collect wins and perform. But going back to Saros himself, just looking at the individual goal, he has five-on-five numbers were stellar this season, but uh, his shorthanded numbers were terrible, which to me is actually reason to like Saros even more because we could expect that shorthanded save percentage to regress and bring up the rest of his numbers. And it's not like this is coming out of nowhere for Saros either. He's had a pretty solid career, including his sophomore season, where he played 10 points above his expected Fenwick save percentage. There's lots of reason to think that UC Saros is above average rather than not. And we'll see how he fares against Carolina, who are going to be a, a pretty interesting test for him. Believe it or not, Carolina rates third in the NHL in five-on-five expected goals per 60 minutes, but they're 18th in the league in actual five-on-five goals per 60 minutes. So we'll see which of those numbers really bears out in the challenge that Saros has to face, but I'm sold on him. And I think a huge series from Saros would, of course, bump his ADP up a couple rounds next year for sure. I just, uh, like I said before, I for, tell me if I'm wrong. I can't get over this 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 concern that if he plays so well, he's actually shooting himself in the foot by ending up on a team that's not that great. Well, yeah, I mean, you'd hope that they know what they're doing a little bit, and they'll still try to improve the team over the summer. I don't think they're just gonna be like, oh, everything is done, <laughs> because Saros uh, saved us and had a 940 save percentage to the yeah. playoffs. But I guess, we'll I guess he happens. can he could keep being a great goalie. I mean, they're a pretty good defensive team, too. So you can keep being a very good goalie on a strong defensive team that just doesn't win as much as you'd like. Kind of like a reverse... Or a, a different version of the Winnipeg Jets, who are a bad defensive team, but their goalie keeps them winning. Uh, one player who's going to be really key that I'm also watching to see because he missed a lot of time due to injury. You already mentioned him, Elon. Philip Forsberg, 32 points in 39 games for a 67 point pace, which is his second highest 82 game pace of his career. 
And it came, thank goodness, because for the first time since he last set a career high in point pace, uh, that Nashville power play was looking functional this season. And no, I'm not going to take this opportunity to mention uh, Ellie Tolvin in power play fixer, but I am just going to mention uh, Philip Forsberg had 13 power play points in 39 games, which would have put him uh, on pace for career high in power play points. And that's huge because as those power play points come, as I've said before, and the ice time comes, which it did a little more often than it used to. Uh, he's a 70 point player. So it was really nice to see both those pieces come together. And amidst all this in a 67 point season, his on ice shooting percentage was below 6% when we should be able to expect 9% from him. And that probably took a, a pretty decent chunk of what he was capable of too. So I think even with a better on ice shooting percentage, which again, this is Nashville. So I don't know how easy that is to come by, but it should be better than what it was this year, which would take him uh, back up above 70 points. So I really like this sort of um, renewal from Philip Forsberg this season. And I'm hoping that what we see in the playoffs is more of the same of what we saw for a large part of this year, that he's totally healthy and healed from his injury and he's ready to go. So that's why I'm watching him because he's only got three points in five games since coming back from injury. So I'd like to, I'd like some reassurance that he's going to be fully healed. Yeah, I'm seeing five points in 10 games uh, most recently. So yeah, he was amazing to start the year. Then he got hurt. And then, you know, he came back just in time for the fantasy playoffs for some people uh, to not do anything for them. So we'll see what Forsberg does. I think that obviously Forsberg needs to do well, but uh, they're going to definitely be needing Saros to do like exceptionally well to get past the strong Carolina team. So that's gonna be really fun to watch. Okay, so let's get more into fantasy now. Here's a player who I'm like, have no idea how I'm going to project him for next year. So I'm hoping the playoffs will help illuminate, though he might even be injured. I'm talking about Vladimir Tarasenko, who missed a huge chunk of the season with that shoulder injury, came back for 24 games where he put up a pedestrian 14 points. What? This is another guy who, like, people probably felt smug. They drafted him, stashed him in IR. Then, you know, he came back for late in the season. And he ended up not even doing that much. Uh, now he's back out with a lower body injury since the start of May. He took part in Saturday's optional skate, so perhaps he'll be available for game one. Who knows if he's at 100%. But I feel like unless Tarasenko has a great playoffs, he's going to fall super far in drafts next year. Like, assuming even if he has a fully healthy playoffs and a fully healthy offseason, all the news is, like, best shape of his life, even if you get all of that stuff, it would be hard for me to project him for like more than, I don't know, 60, 65 points. Like I used to think of him as a solid like 75 plus with like a lot of shots on goal. But this season's really, you know, with the injuries and the injury. The previous year, so he's already now an injury risk guy. And now he's someone who didn't even get a ton of points when he came back. I'm starting to really, yeah, my the fantasy stock for Vladimir Tarasenko is on a downward trend in my mind. So I'm very interested to see if he can change it in these playoffs. Otherwise, I don't know, we'll be discussing in the summer whether he's a steal later in drafts or if like let him go because he's clearly not the same player anymore. Yeah, I hope we get some kind of answer because this has not been a good showing from Tarasenko this season, who, as I mentioned, every time is one of the, has been one of the most consistent players in the NHL clockwork 75 points. And you were always like, ah, I, I can't wait for him to improve beyond that. And I was like, no, he's just going to stay there. But neither of us would have thought that a departure from that clockwork 75 points would be this precipitous drop versus a marginal gain that we were really hoping for. It was an all around really bad year for Vladimir Tarasenko. And I guess the question is, how much stock do we put into this season, given his injury status. And I'm not just talking about this year. Remember that Tarasenko only played 10 games in 2019-20, which means that Tarasenko has only played 34 regular season games since winning the cup in 2018-19. So that's 34 regular season games. And he's hurt again right now. Yeah, out of like 140, right? So uh, he's barely played 
which I feel like is reason to cut him a little bit of slack, but also all the shot rates fell this season by like 25%. And that's a huge drop considering how consistent he's been. And I don't just mean consistent in points. In shot rates, his shot rates over five years never deviated by more than nine-tenths of a shot on goal. And for four of those years, his shooting percentage was also extremely static. And shooting percentage is something that is really vulnerable to variance. But no, not Vladimir Tarasenko. He's been immune to this. But this year, yeah, he saw this uh, 25% drop in shot rates and also a 50% drop in his shooting percentage. So I don't get the sense because of that shooting percentage piece that things are quite as bad for Tarasenko as they seem. And I'm still holding out hope that he just needs some time to get up to speed and that the outcome of these injuries isn't something that's going to nag him the rest of his career and put this governor on how high he's able to perform. I guess from these playoffs, hopefully he's healthy enough to show us what he's got in St. Louis plays enough games because yeah, I want to know. I want to know uh, whether I can be reassured or not, that Tarasenko can get up above 70 points again. I totally agree with what you said, Elon, that Tarasenko could fall really far in drafts if the poor play continues. But in that case, I I might eye him as a decent sleeper for next season. Too soon for that conversation. But I'd hope by next year, no matter what he does in these playoffs, he's fully healthy, heading into his age 30 season. So obviously he's not in his prime, but I still think he's got a lot to give so long as there's no lingering effects from the injuries that have taken away pretty much the entirety of his last two seasons. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, the thing is, even if he's good, you still have the concerns of if he'll be able to stay healthy for a year, like you said, after all of these injuries. So Tarasenko, I hope he does well in in these playoffs, and I hope Ryan O'Reilly's prediction comes true. That'd be a lot of fun if St. Louis could at least make it a somewhat close series versus Colorado. I have a feeling we're not going to be seeing much of Tarasenko. Maybe he, like, plays in Game 1, maybe he doesn't, but after Game 4, I think it might be over for this team. I know, and that's what sucks, because I want to see what Tarasenko has it's you know usually Elon when we get to the playoffs we're like okay whatever like this is a small sample size we're not going to put too much stock into what happens but we're dying for more games to put in our sample from what happened this season we only got 56 regular season games from somebody who played the entire season who knows what other factors were up in the air so I, for the first time, like, no, please, I need more time to watch these players to see what happens. So it's going to be really unfortunate for players who don't get any playoff games, like all the teams that are out of the playoffs, or teams that are gone pretty quickly, like the Blues might be, uh, which means we're deprived of an opportunity to see what Tarasenko can do. And we'll also be deprived of an opportunity to see what Braden Shen can do. He had a bad year this season. His 53-point pace was his worst since 2014-15. That's back when he was, I think, in his second last year with Philadelphia. Um, two areas where he really suffered were on the power play. Shen only had nine power play points in 56 games, and he had very low secondary assist numbers too. And I really am just kind of confused about what happened to him this season. I don't think he should only have gotten a 53 point pace, but I don't see a whole lot of ways that I can spot him the benefit of the doubt. So uh, yes, all the games possible for St. Louis, please. Just just to see a little bit more of Braden Shen and Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, well, so a show we did last year that I think we're going to do again this year was the Red Boys and Blue Boys, and or I think it was Green. Uh, anyways, like splitting player seasons into the first half and the second 
second half and then seeing, you know, maybe putting a spotlight on the players who were very different and trying to figure out which is the real version of them. And Braden Chen is definitely going to be at the top of that list. He had 24 points in 28 games to start the year. He was amazing in the first quarter. And then I'm seeing only 12 points in 28 games for the second half of the season. So he really disappeared right in time for Maddie in my fantasy playoffs. Luckily, we were able to get through in our Dynasty League, even with Braden Chen, who also stopped taking face-offs, which was super annoying. So actually, I have a big hate on for Braden Chen and the big contract he has right now that didn't do anything for me. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, I'd like to see if he can still be good. Not that there's anything I, in particular, can do about it. Uh, Okay, so I guess in a somewhat similar vein to Tarasenko, I see Tarasenko as someone who maybe has gone from like a superstar player to now maybe just like a strong supporting piece. And I'm starting to get the same vibe from someone like Taylor Hall. So I'll be really excited to see what he can do in this playoffs, right? Like he is a former Hart Trophy winner. Everyone knows he's had, uh, you know, point per game plus seasons in the past. Uh, This year was totally dreadful in Buffalo and he had a strong showing in Boston, sure, during the regular season. Uh, Though at the same time, this is like a guy who's playing on the second line, like not on the top power play. So I'm really interested to see in this playoff run if Taylor Hall is going to be able to like still make himself stand out as a superstar. Like, you know, I feel like someone like Kirill Kaprizov, no matter what deployment you gave him, would probably still stand out as like a star player. But maybe is Taylor Hall actually in the best possible spot for himself right now as like more of a secondary, you know, slash a supporting piece. So I'm really fascinated to see what Hall does on this playoff run, which hopefully will be uh, long for his sake for and the Bruins. Uh, Though after one game, the Bruins are down one nothing to Washington and Hall was pointless and only had two shots on goal. So not the most exciting showing for game one for Taylor Hall. But yeah, he's someone who I'm obviously like really interested to see how he's going to do during these playoffs before he becomes a UFA and goes to like his 20th team in his career. <laughs> I guess. I guess your faith has been really shaken by what happened in Buffalo. I guess you could say the same from his stint in Arizona where he was essentially blamed for things going wrong once he got there when I don't think he was the one to blame. We've had that conversation. We've also had the conversation about Taylor Hall's 93-point season in New Jersey where he won the heart. And I, as a longtime Taylor Hall believer, still made my case that I would be surprised if he could repeat that 93-point season. But to call him just a support player at this point in his career, I think is uh, a little harsh. <laughs> well, I'm Taylor talking Hall. more just about his uh, like deployment. I'm not even talking about like his performance. I'm saying like, Boston sure. is using him as a support yeah. player, line two, power play two. Yeah, but I I would hate to see his role limited to that. Like, let's say Boston wins the cup and he plays all right. And another team is like, yeah, I want uh, Taylor Hall on my second line. No, I don't think that's fair. I think Taylor Hall still has more to give. I think he's still a legit top line left winger. I know that Taylor Hall's career has been marked by these wild swings of variance that take him from a 60-point guy to a 100-point guy. But underneath all that, Taylor Hall has always had the numbers of someone with steady, solid point-per-game potential. And like I said, I'm not going to judge him at all on the Buffalo situation. I think he's more than a strong supporting piece. So I really don't know exactly what I'm going to gather from watching Taylor Hall in these playoffs, in all honesty, because he's playing a role that I truly don't expect him to play with whatever team he plays for next season. Maybe he and the Bruins, like, love each other, and they work it out, and and they find a way to sign him and he stays in this supporting role. Maybe he's like, oh yeah, this is for me. But I really find that hard to consider. So Mm. I actually am going to gain very little from watching Taylor Hall in the playoffs, aside from seeing the, the glimmers and 
well, more than glimmers of skill that remain that we've seen through the, the end of season stretch in Boston already. So I'm just excited to see him be able to do his best thing in whatever role he's got, which will surely be bigger next year than it is right now in Boston. Interesting. So you're saying like, no matter what he does in the past, if he's good or if he's bad, it's like doesn't actually give you that much information because you don't expect him to be in a similar role next year. That makes sense. Here's a question for you. Here's a fun one. Let's say St. Louis uh, decide not to resign Mike Hoffman, which I think is a large possibility considering how they've used him. Let's say then St. Louis figures out that instead of re-signing Mike Hoffman, they figure out a way to fill that left-wing spot with Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall goes to the St. Louis Blues next year. It's time for our fantasy drafts. Who are you taking first, Vladimir Tarasenko or Taylor Hall? Which St. Louis Blue do you think would be the more viable fantasy asset in that situation? Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'd have to see how the Lions shake out, We Elon. wouldn't know. It's uh, before yeah. the season. Okay, without any information, Taylor Hall. Yeah, okay, so it'll be interesting, right? We'll, we'll, well, it's tough, right? Because we saw Mike Hoffman get the I know it's role. tough, but I yeah. answered. I think Tarasenko, but obviously then there's the injury factor. I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. Hall is, uh, yeah, maybe I'm being too affected by what happened in Buffalo. But it's uh, Taylor Hall. He had a good run in in Boston at the end of the regular season. So I'd love to see him keep it up. I think it's just telling to me, like, it's, it's but like you said, maybe it doesn't matter, right? Like, I don't know. It's, the, the fact that he's getting this diminished role makes me wonder if maybe that's, like, where he belongs now. But that could also just be, like, just Boston is brimming with superstar players. So they just don't have these uh, premier roles that they can give to every player so that maybe makes sense uh brian we've still got a lot to get to a lot more players that we're excited about but let's just take a quick break you're listening to keeping carlson credit karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions and now they want to help you even more with a credit karma money spend account you can be rewarded for good money habits credit karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases just pay with your debit card and if you win You'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Okay, and we're back. And Brian, I know there's another player, aside from Taylor Hall, who's jumped to a new team after the trade deadline that you were very interested to discuss on this show. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you really build it up. He's just someone I wanted to tag on to the Taylor Hall conversation. And that's Anthony Mantha, who's been pretty good since coming to Washington from Detroit. And right now is in an incredible spot on the depth chart. He's playing on the top line with Ovechkin and Backstrom. And for anyone who's like, yeah, but Mantha hasn't done a whole lot in Washington. I think it's eight points in 14 games. Sure. But over his last eight games of the regular season with Washington, Mantha had 25 shots and no goals. So you keep up those three shots per game and the goals are going to come. Also, Mantha was averaging 20 and a half minutes per night in the last five games of the regular season with Washington, which to me doesn't necessarily signal he's going to play that much all the time, but at least signals to me that Washington wanted to see what would happen if they played him an average of 20 and a half minutes per night. So I really do want to see if this is a good fit for Mantha in Washington. Of course it is. If he gets to hang on to that Tom 
Tom Wilson spot uh, next to Ovechkin and Backstrom. And remember, Mantha's signed for three more years after this one. So he is going to be part of that team. So they have an interest in making him, uh, helping him find the place in the depth chart where he can find the most success. And I'm glad he's getting the tryout here. Since coming to Washington, there has been some rebound in his shot generation rates, which is nice. And if you need any more reassurance beyond what I've said about his deployment and his minutes and his shots, um, his variance has really crushed him also since coming to Washington. So while everything has looked good under the hood, I don't think it showed up on the scoreboard the way I would like it to because his IVP has been brutal, his points participation, and his shooting percentage at five on five has also been brutal since becoming a capital. Of course, that's the sort of thing that happens in small samples, and I expect to regress to the point that uh, if he keeps doing the right things, Anthony Mantha should be able to start collecting points. Yeah, I guess one thing that we're not going to learn right now is whether he's, you know, actually set to take over this top power play role that he played on in game one because Evgeny Kuznetsov has been injured. But maybe if he does a good job, maybe he can unseat Kuznetsov as we saw Jake Verona do for a lot of this season before he got traded. So yeah, like, uh, Mantha's in a perfect spot. And yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what he does in these playoffs to help us try to predict, you know, what are we going to do with Mantha next year? Are we going to project him as like a 60 point guy, as a 70 point guy, as a 50 point guy? I feel like right now I can think of arguments for any of those three answers. So yeah, hopefully we'll get to see more of him. Okay, next, Brian. I was thinking about the Florida Panthers and I was trying to think like, so they have some players so I'm kind of curious to see how they'll do in the playoffs. And to be honest, I couldn't even think of just one. Like, I'm just so curious to see how, like if we had to project the Panthers for next season right now, I could think of like five different players that I might yeah. put as like the third leading scorer on the team after Barkov and Huberdo. Maybe Ekblad could be an easy answer, but like aside from those three, uh, they just have so many players who fascinate me and I can't wait to see what they do. Uh, right now here, mid-game check, still two to one for Florida <laughs> over Tampa Bay in the Battle of Florida. Why is Florida called Florida and not Miami? Have we discussed this? Like, uh, why is it Tampa Bay <laughs> Lightning, but Florida Panthers? But Tampa Bay's in Florida. So isn't that weird? Yeah, and Florida plays in Miami. I I, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. It's a great question. A, I'm sure there's a listening. real answer that we could have found had we researched this before. Yeah, well, more fun to just come off the cuff and not know <laughs> what we're talking about. Okay, so... Let's look at the lines for today, or the practice lines from Saturday that I assume are the lines for today. So they had Carter Verhage on the top line with Barkov and Anthony Duclair, and then Jonathan Huberdeau with Sam Bennett and Owen Tippett, and then Hornquist on the third line with Vitrano and Wenberg, and the top power play in practice was Barkov, Huberdeau, Bennett, Hornquist, and Yandel. So... I guess if I had to pick one player, like, I'm the most interested in seeing, it's of course got to be Sam Bennett. Like, the dude had 12 points in 38 games with Calgary this year, gets swapped over to Florida and put up a cool 15 points in 10 games after the trade. Who would have thought at the end of the trade deadline that the player who was going to make the biggest impact wasn't going to be Mantha, wasn't going to be Hall, it was going to be Sam Bennett. And now we're seeing he's in this, like, perfect spot on a line with Huberdeau on the top power play. Like, Bennett is in a great situation to succeed, and I'd love to see if he can, you know, obviously not keep this up, like, that. That would even be way too much to ask for. But if he could put up like a solid like 70, 65 point pace in the playoffs, then how could we not project him to do something similar next season? You know, like I'd be curious to know how much you'll be affected by what Sam Bennett does in the playoffs. I know that you're not the type of fantasy player to like all of a sudden buy in after this small sample size of 10 games. You're like, oh, Sam Bennett's like someone you need to draft high in your league. So if you're in a bangers league, really hard to not be excited about someone who gives you all those hits and who put up all of these points. So he's someone I'm excited to see. But also, yeah, we've still got other players who I have no idea how I'll project. Like Carter 
Carter Haggy put up 36 points in 43 games this season. That's a 69-point pace. Are we projecting Carter Haggy as a 70-point guy next year? I feel like that would be hard to do. But also, like, ever since he's been on Florida, that's what he's done. So I'm curious to see if he'll keep that up in the playoffs. And like I said, he is on this line with Barkov. He's already scored a goal today. Uh, Patrick Hornfist had a 60-point pace, way above what I would have expected. Duclair, 61-point pace, well, well above what I would have expected for him. And then we have this, like, Owen Tippett guy who, yeah, overall didn't have such an exciting rookie season, but he ended with six points in his last six games. And like I said, he's playing with Huberdeau and Bennett on the second line in these playoffs. So I could see him actually turning out to be the Panther you want the most, because he's obviously the also the highest caliber prospect on this team that's finally getting a shot uh so yeah i'm just so excited to, uh, oh on defense mackenzie weaker are people aware that mackenzie weaker had 36 points in 54 games this year that's a 55 point pace what so i don't know like i feel like that can't be true maybe in the playoffs i'm hoping the playoffs will prove to me that it's not something that we can expect next year because i can't imagine going on this podcast and saying draft mackenzie weaker as a 55 point defenseman so yeah, I don't have a question. Yeah, these are all the players that I'm excited to see what they do. I'm hoping to get just some more information because right now I have no idea how we're going to project these Panthers. We all love to be breathlessly excited about the Florida Panthers, and I am too. This is not a place for cold water. In fact, here's my very fun Sam Bennett frame. You mentioned he has 15 points in 10 games with Florida. He had 12 points in 38 games with Calgary before that this season. So that's just like half a season. But the season before, in 2019-20, Uh, Sam Bennett, in 52 games with Calgary, had 12 points. So he has three more points with Florida in 42 fewer games. Uh, It's a 24-year-old in 2021. So way to go, Sam Bennett. I'm going to zero in on two of the names you mentioned, though. And the first is someone who I don't think has gotten enough credit for his season this year. And part of that is because Sam Bennett has come in and just overshadowed everything. But Anthony Duclair quietly had one of the best Aprils in the entire NHL. He's in the top 15 in league scoring as Duclair continued to run that saw him point in 13 of his last 16 games during which he put up seven goals and 11 assists for 18 points in those 16 games, couple shots a game, and most impressively, doing this with just a single power play point. So that's 17 points, not on the power play in 16 games for Anthony Duclair down the stretch. Uh, Bennett was flying too. I'm not taking away anything from him, but I think Duclair uh, has not gotten the credit he's deserved because of being overshadowed by all the hype there. So way to go, Anthony Duclair, for quietly having a really good season. We also mentioned at the front end how he seemed like somebody who was doing all the right things, but getting none of the right bounces. And so I'm glad that all did even out to him getting about a 60-point pace. So I'm excited to see what he keeps bringing to the table. And you mentioned Mackenzie Weger, Elon. Uh, and speaking of even strength production, he is uh, the king of that, or one of the kings of that, in the NHL from the blue line this season. You mentioned his 55-point pace. Weger did that with only three power play points. And keep in mind, there would have been an opportunity when Ekblad got injured to have Weger just step up into his top power play spot. But Florida's like, no, you know what? We're just going to stick with Keith Yandel and maybe uh, tinker with our setup and have four forwards and one defenseman instead, which means, uh, of course, that Mackenzie Weger has been so fantastic just picking up points at five-on-five. Weger ranked second in the entire NHL in five-on-five point rates by a defenseman just the slimmest bit behind Jacob Chikrin. And ahead of, of, well, of course, everybody else in the NHL on defense. 
Uh, Weaker, if I'm trying to figure out what he's going to do next year, he had one of the higher IPPs and secondary assist rates of that top end five-on-five scoring group. So it's reason to think that maybe he may not quite be a 55-point pace guy, but for sure, let's see what he can continue doing in the playoffs. I mean, 45, 50-point pace with no power play time would be fantastic to see. So that would still be something worth celebrating for Weaker. I'm really interested to watch him and Duclair and Bennett and Chris Driedger, who we mentioned earlier was third in the league in Delta Fenwick save percentage this season, along with Carter Verhege and Patrick Hornquist and Spencer Knight and company. I am so excited to watch all of Florida. Like I'm hoping for a seven game series with Tampa. Uh, I'm hoping Tampa wins because I'm, well, I'm actually equally invested in both teams in my different playoff pools. Um, But right now it looks like we're trending towards a seven game series because score check, it is two all in the Florida Tampa game happening (laughs) on Sunday, May 16th. Nikita Kucherov with the power play goal. Shaking off the rest with an assist from Victor Hedman, Steven Stamkos. That's like the all-injury scoring line. Yeah, I guess I was going to say, oh, well, maybe we will see Chris Drieger since Bob has just let in his second goal. But uh, I guess when you let in a power play goal by Kucherov, assisted by Hedman and Stamkos, you assume it was probably going to be a tough one to save. Uh, Yeah. I'm kind of bummed, Ryan, that we have this podcast right now because this is the series that I was most excited to watch and now I'm missing it. But uh, I'll get more Panthers and Lightning games, obviously, during the week and they're going to be really fun. I think that this is a really tough matchup for Tampa to get uh, to start defending their cup title. Okay, so let's go to some goalies now. There's some goalies I'm very excited to see what they're going to do. Let's start on the older end of the spectrum brian going into last year's playoffs the general vibe with the edmonton oilers as far as i remember was like yeah they have this great offense they have mcdavid and dry no doubt about it but their goaltending is brutal and will mcdavid be able to carry this team even though they have such bad goaltending with mike smith and miko koskinen this year the goalies are the same mike smith is a year older but i haven't heard any of these narratives this year i'm not getting that vibe at all that edmonton just needs to somehow figure out how to overcome their crappy goaltending and the reason is because mike smith just put up his best season of his career as a 39 year old he went 21 6 and 5 with a 923 save percentage this is like so much higher than anything he's done recently and also ever like this has just been an insane season for mike smith and, you know, just in terms of fantasy, got to imagine after a season like this, I don't think Mike Smith is going to be retiring. Like, I don't see why he would. I think that, if anything, he's going to probably be able to get himself a raise. Like, he signed a one-year contract with Edmonton going to this year for $1.5 million, especially if he could win a couple playoff rounds. He should probably be able to net himself a contract like Corey Crawford got for himself last year on New Jersey before he ended up deciding to retire. So, yeah, Brian, have you seen enough at this point to be at least somewhat confident that Mike Smith will be able to hold up? Or, or, let me even make it a softer question. Have you seen enough to... To not think like you're very worried that Edmonton is going to lose because Mike Smith will blow it for them. <laughs> like how, because like, you've always been a long time and for good reason, I guess, like Mike Smith, non-confidence person and like are going to this playoffs. Is that still your concern with Edmonton or do you think that he's going to be able to somewhat keep this up? As you said, Elon, you, you can't blame me for not trusting Mike Smith a whole lot and needing to see a lot of good play from him to be convinced that he can be a reasonably decent option night in, night out. Uh, If you look at his quality start percentage, going back the last six years before this one, in reverse chronological order, they are 46% quality starts, 50%, 58%, 49%, 50%, 48%. And that's very bad, right? Essentially, it means, aside from that one season where he had a 58% quality start percentage, in the other five of the last six years, Mike Smith has basically been a coin flip 
for whether he plays a half-decent game or blows up completely. So yeah, I am going to be skeptical of believing in Mike Smith being someone you can count on. He has had a solid enough season this year, though, playing a few safe points above his expected Venom save percentage. A lot of his success, though, and the reason for that bloated save percentage, in my opinion, uh, can be attributed to some seemingly unsustainable play on the penalty kill, where his save percentage is nearly 30 points above his expected number. So he's stopping, uh, he's got a Fenwick save percentage of 935 versus the expected 906. So look, I'm, I'm going to get on board with Mike Smith as like an average option, which is really me, let's admit, coming a long way to try and meet him where he is with his performance these days. Clearly, I'm still not sold. I'm not convinced that he can build a really great rep just on short-handed save percentage, but his five-on-five play has been good enough this year that maybe, just maybe, he won't be the reason Edmonton uh, is out of the playoffs if and when that happens. Something else working in his favor, by the way, and that he's taken advantage of, I don't want to take credit away from him, is that Mike Smith is seeing the best protection he's seen in the last three years. So that's also working out in his favor. Okay, I'll take that, you know, like just the fact that you're not saying that you're confident that he's going to blow up and cause the Oilers to win, just saying that he'll be average, like you said, that's coming a long way for you. And yeah, so I'll be interested to see if he holds up and then what kind of contract he gets for himself as a 40-year-old. I've got another 40-year-old goalie I want to bring up, though I believe you had another player that you wanted to talk about at Everton, (laughs) which I'm going to argue with you and disagree that there's actually much more to see with this player, but go ahead. Well, yeah, there is much more. Oh, you, you, you mean there isn't much more to see with this player? Okay. Like, I just feel like you're going to say, I'm interested in this player, and I'm like, I could tell you exactly what's going to happen with this player. You don't need okay. to watch the playoffs. So I'm interested in Jesse Pugliarvi because he has 10 points in his last 14 games playing with Drysaddle and McDavid in the latest line combos over on game day lines. Uh, he was a half point per game player all season, very streaky, very often not, not worth rostering nonstop, just like grab him when he's hot, drop him when he's not. But I really like the stretch that he's had over the last three weeks and he's still in this plum spot going into the playoffs. So I would like to see uh, more of what Jesse Pugliarvi can do. Yeah, I mean, me too. Like, I think he's the kind of guy who next year going into drafts, I'm probably going to project him for like 50, 55 points, like around there. Uh, I don't know if I'll draft him. Like, he'll be maybe a good guy to take like at the end of my drafts because he'll be like the type of player who I'd want as at the top of my free agent pool whenever he's available. You know, like a Frank Fatrano this year, maybe even a higher end version because when he gets to play with McDavid and Dreisaitl, obviously anything can happen. I haven't been convinced yet that he can be like a, you know, fantasy mainstay, like you said, but obviously he's in a great spot and I'm predicting that he'll put up around a 50 to 60 point pace in these playoffs, uh, which is obviously a big range, but that's that's how I feel like things will shake out with him. Uh, But yeah, he's been great. Like, it's nice to at least have a player who you can be confident he's staying on a line with McDavid. It's obviously been very rare over the past few seasons. Yeah. So even him just doing that is like super great. And I don't want to take anything away from Pugliarvi. It just doesn't seem like he's like going to be this like 70 plus point guy that maybe it looked like he could be when he first got on the McDavid line at the very start of that run this year. Fair enough. But even remember where he was at the start of the season where like basically the team didn't want him. And he didn't want the team, and it seemed really, really testy between the two. And they finally reconciled enough for Pugliarvi to start playing, and then he eventually found his way onto the top line, and he eventually found his way to stay there. So I I just think there's still the possibility of an upward trajectory here. And you said 50 to 60 points. Man, if he's a 60-point player, that's great. I'd love that. 
Yeah, for sure. Especially for a short playoff run. I guess that's the difference. Well, that's probably just the difference between one or two points because it's such a small sample size. By the way, Pugliarvi still signed for one more year. I'm really surprised he signed this contract. I, if I was him, I would have just signed a one year for this 1.175 mil. Like, it's nothing. Why did he agree to that? It's like a, almost like the minimum. And he took it for two years. I think he didn't uh, bet on himself. He should have just done one year because I'll bet you he'd be able to sign a much better contract going into this next season. But he's already locked in. So good piece of business by the Oilers to get a top line player locked in on such a cheap contract for next season. OK, so like I said, Mike Smith isn't the only uh, almost 40 year old goalie that we're seeing in these playoffs because yesterday Craig Anderson came in for the injured Vitek Vanacek and stopped 21 of 22 in the overtime win over the Boston Bruins. What an exciting story from Craig Anderson. Uh, so the reason why he was even the backup is because Ilya Samsonov was on the COVID list. He was removed yesterday, but it was still scratched. So, I mean, it's very interesting. Like, we don't know. Maybe we won't see Anderson again for the rest of the playoffs. Like, Samsonov might be fine. Maybe Vanacek is also fine. But uh, if people need a reminder about Craig Anderson, uh, he stopped 21 of 22 shots yesterday. That earned him his 24th career playoff win. And according to this tweet I found from Capitals PR... Uh, Anderson's 929 career save percentage in the playoffs is the second highest in NHL history among goaltenders with at least 40 games played. So I don't if, if you didn't hear me right. Uh, no, you did. You probably just think you didn't hear me right. He's the second best goalie in NHL history for save percentage of goalies in the playoffs who've played more than 40 games. So Craig Anderson is a stud in the playoffs. He's a clutch guy for you. He's your Justin Williams, but as the goalie. So why wouldn't Washington at least ride him until, you know, he has a bad game, I guess, right? Like, why put in Ilya Samsonov right now, who's coming off of COVID list, when you could just play Craig Anderson? I'm fascinated to see what Washington's going to do for the next game and if Anderson's going to get the next start. Uh, also, as a side note, how terrible was that take by Kelly Rudy? Did you see that clip, Brian? About yeah, how, that was like, very bad. <laughs> like, he's, like, blaming Vanacek for getting injured and saying he should have stretched more before they can get the, get the hell out of here. Come on, you don't know what he was doing. I, yeah, I guess I just don't understand... Does Kelly Ru- did Kelly Rudy see the whole stretching routine, like, start to finish? Yeah, I guess, obviously, you want to have a hot take. I think it's, like, these talking heads on these playoff productions is they, you know, they have three hours to fill, and they have to have hot takes. Obviously, Kelly Rudy's right. like, oh, I got a good one that's going to get me some plays. Maybe everything <laughs> is happening just how he wants it, but that was just a wild take. I've never heard. I wonder if it was, like, you know, Carey Price or, like, a bigger name goalie that got injured, if he Definitely. would have the balls to say, you know, this a similar thing. Like, easy to throw it on some rookie from Europe that it's not a big name. But anyway... It doesn't matter. Whatever. Vitek Vancheck, hopefully he's fine. Craig Anderson, I'd love to see some more games from him and see what he can do. Keep up this amazing playoff career he's had. Yeah, Craig Anderson has had an amazing playoff career. You detailed many ways in which he's had a great playoff career. Another way is that he's a career 65% quality start in the playoffs, too. And I love Craig Anderson. But you were like, well, how if he's ranked so high in NHL history as being this good at being a playoff goalie, why wouldn't the Caps play him now? Uh, I would argue because it's been three years since Craig Anderson last played in the playoffs. And it's probably a good thing that Anderson hasn't had any playoff action since taking Ottawa to the Game 7 overtime conference finals uh, that they lost to Pittsburgh back in 2017. Because in the three seasons since then, Craig Anderson's regular season save percentages have cratered. 898, 903, and 902 with Ottawa was okay this season, but in very little work with Washington. I, I definitely feel like I love Craig Anderson. I watched every game of that 2017 run and other playoff runs that he did with the Ottawa Senators. I know he's got magic in him, but I wouldn't want to bet my playoff hopes on it. Um, I guess... 
when you're trying to figure out if the Capitals are going to play him again, you look at the other options, and Vancek and Samsonov have both not been very good this year, but they kept getting opportunities even when they weren't good. Uh, the Capitals weren't turning to Craig Anderson then. So I'm curious. I'm very curious to see. I would love to see it. But I'm curious to see if Washington decides, oh, yeah, so now we're in the playoffs and we're going to turn to Craig Anderson now, even though we had reason to all season long to try him out and didn't. Uh, now is the time to go with him because maybe, maybe like you said, Elon, maybe he's the Justin Williams uh, uh, of goaltending and he can be Mr. Postseason for the Capitals the way that, I mean, Justin Williams had some good years for the Capitals in that role, too. So I, maybe uh, I, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. I mean, to be clear, I wasn't suggesting that they should play Craig Anderson because he used to be such an amazing playoff goalie. Like, I was saying more like, how could they not at least give him the next game after this great game he just had yesterday? Not saying because of things he's done three years ago. Like, I don't know if they're going to give him the whole playoff run, but it just seems like it would be tough as a coach, right? To like sit a goalie who just like won this game for you and was amazing. Uh, So I guess we'll wait and see what the Capitals decide to do. It's definitely a player I'll be watching, uh, which is the theme of this episode. Uh, And then a bit more goaltending still. I'm really excited to see what happens in Toronto, right? This is going to be such an interesting situation. Frederick Anderson is a pending unrestricted free agent, finally got a regular season game in right before the end, and he didn't do that great. He stopped only uh, 24 of 28 in overtime loss to the Sens. Of course, like, you know, that looks worse, and you know my policy on trying not to count overtime goals against him. I wish there was, or there probably is a stat, right, of, like, save percentage not including overtime goals against. I would probably prefer to yes. see that if I was ranking Five on goalies. five save percentage. Well, no, I'm saying, like, I want to include power play. I just don't want to include overtime so it's a different oh. stat than what i'm suggesting but anyway i i feel like that's a, just a tough situation for goalies and most of the time they let in a goal when it's three on three but all that said anderson was fine not great uh meanwhile jack campbell did have that roughish stretch right when i needed him most leading into my couple playoffs and then i dropped him but uh, he's been solid lately he went six one and one with a 925 save percentage in his final eight games to end the season and it's been announced that jack campbell's going to be starting game one for the leafs all the way next thursday which is like what are we waiting for but whatever fine uh so yeah gotta imagine whatever happens in the leafs net during this playoffs will have a huge impact on their outlook in neck for next season right like i feel like this is probably gonna be the most impact full playoff run for a team in terms of tr- making this decision of whether they re-sign Frederick Anderson. Like, obviously, if, you know, Campbell struggles and Anderson leads them far, probably they're going to want to re-sign Frederick Anderson. But if Campbell takes them far and Anderson does nothing, then probably they're not going to want to sign Frederick Anderson. So I'm obviously very fascinated to see how this is going to play out. Yeah, so there are two things that are true here, and I really want to emphasize them because I, I think I think it, things have been blown out of proportion with how good Campbell has looked in times and how bad Anderson has looked. The first is that Jack Campbell has had a really good year just outside that top five in Delta Fenwick save percentage that we were listing earlier in the show. And Campbell has been a good deal better than Freddie Anderson, but Anderson was average this season at five on five. He hasn't been awful, but he has been destroyed on the penalty kill, posting a Fenwick save percentage of 839 compared to his expected 907. That's a 68 save point difference. And it usually does not get any worse than that. And again, penalty kill save percentage is something that does fluctuate from year to year, isn't usually repeatable, uh, like something you think, oh, well, it happened this year, so it's going to happen again next year. No, it's like kind of all over the place. So that's one reason why I, I think maybe things uh, have looked a little too hard on Freddie Anderson. But Jack Campbell has deserved 
all the credit he's been given. He's been really great on the penalty kill. That's helped boost his overall numbers. And at five on five, he's played seven and a half save points above his expected numbers compared to just half a save point that Freddie Anderson has been playing above his expected numbers. One thing to keep in mind, though, is Freddie, like his Anderson friend Craig, has been really good in the postseason. 922 and 936 over two first round losses the last two postseasons. So you could point to a lot of reasons why the Leafs have not survived the first round the past couple of years, but Freddie Anderson has not been one of them. Uh, but if I were choosing my game one goalie, I wouldn't be choosing based on that. And I would agree with Sheldon Keefe that Jack Campbell should be my game one starter, which means just hire me to coach the team. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's basically you pick the goalie the and then you're usually done for the day. Yeah. 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 So that'll be a really fun to watch Leafs versus Habs. Uh, the first time since the 70s, apparently the Leafs and Habs have played each other in the playoffs. So hopefully they'll give us a show. This would be such a fun game, Brian, to go to a bar in Toronto. I like going to there's this Habs bar that I go to with my friends sometimes to watch Habs games and we cheer for them. It's so fun. And like, I guess the Leafs in the playoffs, oh, it'd be such a blast. So uh, darn you. How would you how would COVID. you split your loyalties? Don't don't you say the Leafs are your hometown team, but you go to a Habs bar in your hometown to cheer <laughs> against them? I mean, people like don't like this about me, so I feel like I shouldn't say this on the podcast. I feel like I cost us listeners whenever I say this, but like I'm not really like a team fan anymore in the way I used to be. Like I just kind of like want fun things to happen. Like I want, <laughs> like obviously one of the Leafs and the Habs are going to win. I guess I'm cheering for the Leafs mainly because I feel like they have a better chance of going on a long run, and it would be just a fun thing in the city. Though it's a lot less fun when there's COVID and I can't go to bars or like hang out with people anyways. Uh, though I am vaccinated, by the way. And everyone who has the opportunity to get vaccinated, you probably should. Please uh, do. Uh, so anyhow, what am I saying? I don't know. I want either <laughs> one to win. But if I'm in a Habs bar, it will just be like a fun experience, right? That's basically what I'm talking about. Even if I don't necessarily... Probably I'm going to be cheering for uh, the Leafs also because I have three Leafs players on my KKPP team. I picked Matthews in the first round. I got Nylander, I think, in the fourth round. And then I took Nick Felino right at the end. And Felino, by the way, we can tack him on with the uh, Hall and Manthas and uh, Sam Bennett as players yeah. who mo- got moved at the trade deadline. And he's slated to play on a line with Tavares and Nylander as of now with... Uh, uh, Hyman back healthy playing with Matthews and Marner so it'll be fun to see what Felino can do uh, in his like first long stint with Leafs he looked good in the you know in the regular season right at the end there, he didn't get to play right away and then when he did play he was almost a point per game so it'll be fun to see what Felino can do now in the playoffs four points in seven games is that is that almost a point <laughs> per game Oh, I guess I'm. I guess yeah, you're right. I I am thinking more like when I was paying attention. Still, it seemed like he was getting (laughs) points every game. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, eight shots in those seven games too. Uh, We like Felino for his hits. Sometimes he was still doing that over three hits per night on average, twenty four hits. But he was also playing the least ice time basically he's played since uh, he was twenty four years old. Right now, this is age thirty three season. He's only seeing fifteen and a half minutes of ice a night with Toronto, which honestly. That's fine with me. I think that might work for him. I still think it might be a net gain playing with Tavares and Nylander. It would be really nice if he could uh, make an impression there. But again, he's a UFA next season. So I don't know that what he does this postseason is going to mean a whole lot for his, his value next season. Well, I guess it's just going to help determine if other teams are going to be spending big money on him or not. So it might have an effect that way. But yeah, I guess I'm not going to read much into like these last few games, by the way. Like he had points in four straight games for the Leafs and was playing much more than these like 15 and a half minutes. And then I think the Leafs went into like who cares mode, right? Because, you know, they were focused on the playoffs. So these last three games, like who knows what they're going to do. And now he's on a different line than he was playing with. So it'll be fun to see. I'm not saying I'm expecting a lot. I I got him in the uh, second last round right before I took the Minnesota Wild team goalies. 
uh, to end that draft. And good luck to everyone in Div 7 of the KKPP. Uh, Brian, so I guess that's the end of my, like, big list. Now I have some, like, I guess just, like, honorable mentions players I want to throw out. I know you came up with a bit as well. So why don't we just go back and forth to end the show. And I'll just start by throwing out an obvious one. Obviously, I'm interested in seeing what Nikita Kucherov is going to do after missing the whole season. And so far, it's now 3-2 to two for Tampa. And Kucherov has scored two power play goals. So I think uh, any curiosity of, like, I wonder if Kucherov is 100%. I think Kucherov is just fine. And I haven't actually watched this game, right? I'm just, like, looking at the score sheets. But uh, I... I feel like there was probably, I don't think this is a hot take today, there was probably some shenanigans, and maybe Kucherov could have came back earlier if Tampa really wanted to, but obviously they couldn't because of cap reasons, and now they get to get him as a free insert onto the lineup right in time. Like, such a coincidence that he's finally fully healthy just in time for game one of the playoffs, but... uh my sense is that he's 100% and he's going to have a great playoff run. And we'll see how high he can boost his draft ranking for next year, right? Because like this year he was getting drafted really high, like fifth, sixth overall in the couple, only to totally destroy people when it was announced that he was going to be out for the whole season. Uh, so we'll see if he can do well enough in the playoffs to, you know, once again earn that uh, high pick, which I have no concerns, really. <laughs> how about you? I don't have any concerns either. I think if you can get him lower in this season's drafts and he was going this past season, that's a steal. I think he was definitely worth that pick if not for his injury. And uh, already he's proving that he hasn't lost much. So yeah, I uh, like what's to watch here with Nikita Kucherov really, right? I think I'm actually a little more interested in Steven Stamkos who had yet another injury that saw him miss significant time, which is happening more and more with the now 31-year-old at this point in his career. He played just 38 games this season out of 56. Last year, Samkos played uh, 57 of the roughly 70 games that Tampa got in before the season was paused. So I am... Uh, I, I just want to know every time Samkos gets hurt, I want to know that he's okay. So I'm actually just going to be watching for that. I, I For some reason, I have total faith that Kucherov is fine, but Samkos just has more... Uh, enough of a checkered injury history that I need some reassurance every time he's hurt that everything is up to speed and uh, there's nothing significantly changed about his game. Well, yeah, well, and also I think that's also reasonable because Stamkos is more recently injured. Like Kucherov's now had like a full season to recover. Stamkos is covering off his latest injury. So yeah, it makes sense. It will be a little concerned and I'm sure it'll come out if the Lightning go on a long playoff run again. I'm sure Stamkos will play through injury as much as he can and then it'll come out at the end that actually he had a broken whatever like all these players tend to do. And Stamkos, if you recall, like missed last playoffs except for that one shift, right? Or whatever it was, like three shifts and he scored a goal. And uh, I saw a stat, well, not a stat, just like a, that pointed out that this is the first game today that Kucherov and Stamkos are both playing like for a full game since like uh, over a year ago because Stamkos also missed the end of last season and then only got in for that like couple shifts in the playoff game in the finals. So uh, Lightning are definitely leveled up. They won the cup last year with no Stamkos. So if anything, this uh, you know Tampa team is even stronger than they were last year when they won the cup. So obviously very scary. We've talked about how scary and exciting Florida is, but obviously Tampa is the favorite and for a very good reason. And right now they're showing it uh, jumping to this lead at the end of the second period. Uh, Brian, who do you want to talk about next as a final player? You're excited to see what they do in the playoffs. I'll throw Martin Natchez's name out there. I don't know exactly what I expect to see. I guess I just want to know who the, as you would say, Elon, who's the real Martin Natchez? Uh, he had 11 goals and 26 assists for 37 points in his first 43 games this season. That put him 
at a 70 point pace for over three quarters of the year, uh, and then didn't do very much. Finished the season cold, four points in 10 games off the top power play, which by the way, was also something that really cooled off for NHS this season. He had 10 power play points in his first 30 games, then just one in his next 23 games. And for some of that, he still was on the top unit. Uh, so NHS is still just 22 years old. And I guess I just want to see this is going to be his first taste of having a like a big enough role in the playoffs to maybe see a little bit more of what he's made of and what role Natchez is capable of taking on. Uh, he's slated to start on the second line with Vincent Trocek and Warren Fogel. So he's just someone I'm going to keep my eye on and see just how big he can play. Yeah, I think these uh, Carolina Lions, according to their latest practice, are interesting, right? They have Niederreiter with Aho and Tara Vinen on the top line. And then Andrei Svechnikov down, I guess, on line three with Jordan Stahl and Jesper Fast. Though I could imagine that all three of those lines are probably going to just play a lot of minutes and maybe it will be more of a top nine. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how the Canes do. I would be very worried about any of these players, like I said, because I think UC Saros might just stonewall the whole team. But obviously Carolina's a really good team, so I'm sure they'll figure out a way to at least get a few pucks past uh, UC Saros. We'll see if it's enough to win the series. Okay, so I'll throw out a guy. Uh, I'm still interested. I'm still fascinated by Chandler Stevenson. I've got to say it. Like, I don't know why. Maybe at this point I should just get over it. But, like, this season he had 35 points in 51 games for a 56-point pace, which is well above what I was expecting. And also that's, like, he ended stronger, right? Like, at the beginning of the season he wasn't that much. He ended up becoming a free agent in the couple Tier 1 for a stretch. And then I picked him up for my playoff run. And he ended the season with 9 points in his final 12 games, which would be over a 60-point pace. I feel like if Chandler has a strong versus weak playoffs, I could see that. That's swaying me between thinking he's like a 50-point player versus a 60-point player for next season, which would likely make the difference between me drafting or not drafting him in a lot of leagues. Like, obviously, he's just like one of these guys who's in like such a sweet spot playing with Stone and Pacioretty. Unfortunately, today for Game 1 versus Minnesota... Uh, Pacioretty was hurt. He didn't play. So it was Thomas Nozek taking that spot instead of Pacioretty, which is obviously not as good for Stevenson. And obviously it wasn't that great for uh, Vegas because they got shut out, though it seems like that was not for a lack of shots because it took a 42 safe shutout from Cam Talbot to keep this team from scoring a goal. So yeah, I just wonder, like at this point, if I were going to be drafting for next year right now, I wonder if Stevenson has like leapfrogged a bunch of players on Vegas to become like the, I don't know, fourth forward that I would want on the team. Like obviously you want Stone, Pacioretty, and Marsh. So as the top three, then I would have probably thought then you'd go like William Carlson, I don't know, Riley Smith, Alex Tuck in the conversation. But I wonder if now you want Stevenson ahead of Carlson, Smith, Tuck, if he's going to continue to put up like, a, like I said, like a 60 point pace lately playing with Stone and Pacioretty. I think Stevenson is that fourth forward you want on Vegas. I think he has leapfrogged William Carlson. Basically, you want someone playing with Stone and Pacioretty. And that very well seems to be Stevenson. And I don't think this is, uh, like, I, I don't, it's not terribly new. Uh, ever since Vegas acquired him for a fifth rounder, they sent that to Washington to get Chandler Stevenson. Uh, he was pretty much almost immediately atop their depth chart as their number one center playing with Stone. And I, I, sure, I want to see how much damage he can do. But keep in mind, he's not like some young prospect or anything. He's 27 years old. He's already been in his current role for one and a half seasons. I guess he could be a 60-point player, but I think I'd be more comfortable putting him around the 50, 55 point range. That's what I'm guessing. But sure, I'll keep my eyes open, Elon, to see if he does anything that convinces me to put him on the higher end of the range you're looking at for Chandler Stevenson. I'm also keeping an eye on Tomasz Nosek, who uh, is on the top line, it seems, for now, for as long as Pacioretty is injured or for as long as 
the duration of game one at the very least. But Nosek, as we mentioned, his name several times towards the end of the season, 17 points in 20 games to close out his season. So he's someone I want to see if he keeps getting an increased role, just how much he can do with it. He's kind of like we know Alex Tuck is stuck on the third line. And if he could only get into the top six in Vegas or anywhere, yeah, he could put up points and be really fancy relevant. This might be an opportunity for us to find out the same about Tomasz Nosek. Yeah, though I'm assuming Vegas is hoping that no one finds that out and Pacioretty comes back <laughs> yeah, exactly. for the next game. And then Nozak is on a pretty good third line, right? Like Tuck, Janmark, and Nozak was a nice third line where he got a lot of those points. Uh, so yeah, that's obviously the best situation. Then you get your Carlson, Marshall, O'Reilly, Smith, Stone, Stevenson, Pacioretty. Then you have a strong third line. And then this uh, Vegas team figures out how to score a goal against the Minnesota Wild. Uh, okay, so next up, I'll bring up uh, Cole Caulfield. I'd like, love to see what he'd do, right? Unfortunately, he's projected to be a healthy scratch, according to the latest Habs lines. I guess either the Habs will win their first game against the Leafs, and Caulfield will continue to be scratched, or they'll lose. And then the Habs fans will get totally mad at Ducharme and be like, we would have won if Caulfield was in the lineup you stupid idiot and then like he'll get in the lineup for the second game we'll see what he does but yeah if, if and when he does play i'll curious to see if he can build on his four goals in seven games to end the season uh obviously he's been a spark plug for this habs team and i'll be curious to see what he can do obviously more so like next year and moving forward when he's a full-time nhler but if we can get a little hint in the postseason i'll take it yeah so i guess step one for him is to break the lineup I could see him going in if the Habs are down to nothing in the series early and they need, uh, they want to switch it up and bring in some excitement and throw in Caulfield and try and put him in some, some tough situations to see if he can, uh, jolt the team to life. But they also have a bunch of other pretty good players. So I, I don't know that they'll need to rely on him, but it would be nice to see him get some play in the postseason. Uh, okay. I have no hab to go to next and I have no good segue to go to my next place. So I'm just going to jump over to Pittsburgh and talk about Kasperi Kapanen, who uh, is someone I'm watching because well, before I even go further about Kasperi Kapanen, would you know his point pace offhand, Elon? Like, what would you guess? Hmm. Okay. That's a good question, actually. And I haven't looked this up yet. I'm trying to, like, sort of remember the vibe I've gotten from him this season. I feel like he was, like, kind of disappointing at first. Then, at some point, he was good. Like, I remember we brought him up on the show at some point. He was, like, playing with Malkin, doing well. Then he got hurt. Then, like, he just came back kind of recently. I don't I think he was good to end the season. Uh, Malkin is hurt now. I don't know. I'm going to guess all that adds up to, what, like, 55, 60? 55 point pace is what I'll guess. So it was all really good, actually. You nailed a lot of the trajectory of Kapanen's season. But his point pace was 62 points. He pays for 62 oh, points. Wow. I'm in seeing, an yeah, he had a really strong finish here. Yeah, nine goals, 14 assists for 23 points in 27 games to finish out the season. I would make the case that Kasperi Kapanen was the quietest 60-plus point pace player in the NHL this season. He played mostly with Malkin and Zucker. That seemed to work well. Now he's playing with Jeff Carter and Jared McCann because Zucker's down on the third line and Malkin's injured. Uh, this is in the playoffs and, of course, it didn't go so well for Pittsburgh today. But he's been really good. And I just I just want to take a second to recognize Kasperi Kapanen was a 60-plus point player and he's holding this role on the second line, which I hope to see continue and to be a more valuable place to play when Malkin does return. But until then, we're going to see Jeff Carter there, who 
Holy cow, did you realize this, Elon? He had eight goals in 40 games with LA, nine goals in 14 games since coming to Pittsburgh and also taking almost three shots per game. Uh, so that's, he's not really someone I'm watching so closely, but I just think that's something worth recognizing. And then the third piece of that line, all these guys are really interesting, actually. Jared McKinn continuing to stay relevant. He was really good for a long stretch towards the end of the season, kind of fell off towards the end, but I'm wondering... If now that we're seeing Jason Zucker on the third line with Evan Rodriguez and Freddie Goudreau, maybe McCain hangs on to the second line, even when Evgeny Malkin is healthy. And then we see Kapanen, Malkin, McCain, which uh, could be good for everyone. Yeah, I guess it's hard to predict. And like they lost the game. And if Malkin comes back, that's obviously going to shake things around. So we'll see what happens. By the way, Jeff Carter, of those nine goals, four of them came in one game against Buffalo. So I don't know how much you want to count that overall. Cancel those. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, still, like, obviously, yeah, it was nice to see him, like, step in and start producing right away on the Penguins. Yeah, so we'll see. I don't think, like I said before, I don't know if you're going to be seeing that many games with these Penguins to learn too much more about them. So nice that we have this overall season of Kapanen. And yeah, a lot of uh, Leafs fans were, like, good riddance to this guy. He's no good. And yeah, he seems like he was a strong acquisition for the Penguins. Obviously, who did they even trade for? Ka- I know that the Leafs did it basically as a cap dump because they needed to, you know, make room for all of their big contracts. And then, you know, they bring in the Joe Thorntons and the, you know, Wayne Simmons and Jason Spetz's of the world to fill out their lineup on the cheap. But I forget who they actually traded Kapanen for, but I guess whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, Kapanen was traded by, this from Wikipedia, traded by the Maple Leafs back to the Pittsburgh Penguins along with Pontus Auberg and Jesper Lindgren in exchange for Evan Rodriguez, Philip Hollander, David Warsawski, and Wait. Pittsburgh's first rounder? <laughs> Wait, Evan Rodriguez is still on Did Toronto get Rodriguez and then wave him? Oh, I think that did happen, right? And then they waved Rodriguez and then he went back to Pittsburgh? I guess. Anyway, obviously it was a captain <laughs> for the Leafs. They, and it was like, I'm not saying the Leafs made a bad move to get rid of Kapanen. They needed to clear out like Janssen and Kapanen. They got Pittsburgh's first round pick. Oh, I see. Yeah. And hey, the Leafs ended up using their cap savings to sign TJ Brody, who's been a good defensive player for them. And they drafted Rodion Amirov with that pick. So they traded Kasperi Kapanen. Essentially, I think the deal is Kasperi Kapanen for this first round pick, which is Rodion Amarov. Oh, well, in that case, it's like a really good deal for the Leafs, right? They needed to dump the cap space and they got a first round pick out of it. So I guess Kapanen, you could say, is just doing what Pittsburgh was expecting him to do because otherwise they wouldn't have uh, paid that price. So I'm glad everyone is happy. Uh, Brian, I'm good. I think I'm good for my list of players that I'm interested to see what they do in the playoffs. Do you have any final names you want to throw at me before we close out the show? I'll just throw out a name, Jeremy Swayman, as someone I want to see. I'm really curious, without knowing exactly what Tukarask's future is, it's like been so kind of up in the air for a couple seasons now. Like, there's been a couple moments, oh, is he retiring? Is he staying? What does he want? Um, look, all the best to Tukarask and whatever he chooses, but I find it really interesting that Jeremy Swayman has had such a great run in net. And with Tukarask not looking so top flight, in game one of the series against Washington, I honestly wonder if he, if Swayman gets a start in game two or perhaps game three, if game two also doesn't go well for Tukarask. So I'm curious to see if he gets action. And if he does, to me, that's a, that could be a sign of a changing of the guard in Boston. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year for this team. And it seems like Swayman has shown so far that he like is potentially capable of just taking over as a starting goalie on the Bruins. By the way, back on the Haps, I should mention uh, Brendan Gallagher is going to be back in the lineup. Remember, he missed the end of the season with that thumb injury. I guess he's someone I'm like selfishly interested in because Maddie and I have him on our Dynasty League. And he is about to start a brand new contract. He's been super cheap for the Habs for a while now. This year, he made only 3.75 mil. Next year, he starts a five-year 6.5 
$5 million AAV contract just in time for him to have had one of his worst seasons in a while. He only had only 23 points in 35 games before getting hurt. So uh, now uh, the way our Dynasty League rules work is we could drop a player before the new contract starts if we want. Like we could agree, decide not to take on this contract. So maybe it is like probably we'll keep him, but... I hope he'll do better. So I'd hope that he'll show me something in the playoffs that he's maybe better than just a 55 point guy. But I guess we'll have to wait and see what Gallagher can do. Sure. We've definitely talked about the ceiling on production in Montreal and how Gallagher can bump up against it as much as he wants. But the ceiling is still going to be there, even with a coaching change, that it's going to be hard to perform above 60 points. But uh, sure. Yeah, I'll watch Brendan Gallagher. I like watching Brendan Gallagher. He's fast. He's fun. You know what I would like, actually? This might not be good for the Habs, but like Phil Deneau is a free agent, right? And he's like a really good defensive player. Yeah. So I, I think what I kind of want as someone who has Gallagher on my team is I want Deneau to not resign with the Habs. I want him to go somewhere else. And then they're going to have to rejig the lines. And maybe Gallagher doesn't end up on this like defensive line. And instead, maybe he could play with a more like offensively capable center. And maybe even if that's not as good for the Habs, maybe that's better for Gallagher to get more points. I'd love for him to play with Suzuki or something like that. So, uh We'll see. We'll see. But obviously, Dino's going to be there for the playoffs, so I won't get yeah. into that. I would actually say I'd be interested to see all of the Canadians play. I'd like to see more from Tatar. I'd like to see more from Suzuki. I'd like to see more from Gallagher and Caulfield. But uh, we know. We basically know uh, how relevant you can be in Montreal. So that's a, that's a thing. That- Maybe that'll change when Dino is gone. They'll have to shift everything around. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or maybe for the worse, like everyone's going to have to play harder defensively to make up for his absence. You think the whole team's identity, defensive identity is because they have <laughs> Philip Deneau? <laughs> no, I'm just wishful thinking. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But really he plays big minutes, right? And he's like a shutdown guy. All right. So this was a, such a fun show, Brian. I love getting the chance to talk to you. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you're listening to us in the playoffs, you're probably more of a hardcore fan of Keeping Carlson than our regular season listeners. So yeah, t- hit us up on Twitter. Just be like, hey, guys, uh, heard you on the playoff show. Give us your thoughts. Tell us if you have a player that you're especially interested to see how they do in the playoffs. And we'd love to hear from you. So yeah, that's at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. We also have a very fun time going on in our Discord channel. If you want to become a patron of Keeping Carlson, join our community. Now's a great time because over the summer, we just say, F it. Uh, throw us a buck, throw us the minimum that Patreon lets us make as the amount, and we're going to give you all the perks we have to offer. So if you want to join our community, now's a good time. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, I think I'm ready to uh, go home here. So let's cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our wonderful, amazing, glorious patrons. Logo art by BrandonWeave.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, NBC Sports Edge, and probably a little bit of Fantrax and Yahoo too. Great job as always, Brian. We are just in time to watch the third period of Lightning versus Panthers, so I'm excited for that. And uh, I guess next time I'm talking to you is, oh, I didn't even mention, Wednesday, we're doing a Patreon cast. Another reason to become a patron, oh, by yeah. the way, is you could hear Brian and I answer all the patrons' questions in just a couple days, so I will talk to you then. Until then, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone.